October 15, 2016 in Oman, the law of application. So yesterday we went over the law of need. Were you all there for that? Everybody was there? Can you all hear me? Everybody can hear me? So why are we learning anything spiritual? What's our what's our purpose? Are we learning are we learning just Are we learning? Are we learning just for information? Is our idea that at the time of death, someone's going to ask us name all of the Vishnu forms on all of the Vaikuntha planets, or give the stages of Anamoya, Pranamoya, Vijnanamoya? You know, what is the what is the reason that we're learning? What we really want to do is we want to have the devotees become perfect in their Krishna consciousness. We want them to develop in their spiritual life. And we have to ask, you know, how many people, after starting Krishna consciousness, really keep up the process over the long haul? And how many times do people go to a class, and then as soon as they leave the class, they don't even remember what it's about? You know, you say, how was, what was the class about? How did you like the class? They go, what? Huh? What was it about? Oh, it was about Krishna. <laughs> What to speak of actually putting it into practice. And I think this is a problem that we see also with our children. They come when they're young. They learn so many slokas. They get to be teenagers. And then they have other interests. And then they may not actually practice in their lives. So our, our basic principles behind this law is that application is the main reason for information. We are getting spiritual information for the purpose of using that in our spiritual life. And, and this we talked about yesterday with the law of need, making sure that what our students learn is applied is our responsibility. Often we think, I just teach the information whether or not anyone uses it and how they use it is not my problem. Now, that may be true to some extent. If you're just coming through for a day and teaching something and leaving, then you can't do any follow-up, but you can still teach for application. Does that make sense? Yes? And application information should be balanced. So about 45 to 70% application. So did most of you come to my class this morning? No. So how many of you were at the class this morning? So what percentage of that class was how you would use it, what you would do, would you say? What was the percentage of that class was about what you would practically do? No, I'm asking for a percentage. You don't understand my question. No, definitely not 100%. Hare Krishna, definitely was not 100%. How much of my class was just information and not application? Let's ask that question. Huh? Now I'm asking the other way around. 
Some part of my class this morning was just information, and some was application. What percentage would you say there was? 80-20? Perhaps. I think I went, I think I was telling the initial stories. I started at about 9.15, and I was telling the stories probably till about 9.40. So that about 25 minutes I was giving the information of the stories. And we were talking about what, our, what were our reasons for wanting to hurt people. That probably went all together till a, somewhere close to 10, I think. It was, it was close. I think it was maybe 9.50, 9.55 before I finished the information. And then the application were the four steps. You understand? That's what you actually do. And then my class went on until 10.45. So it was almost exactly 50-50. I had from 9.15 to a little less, 45-65. Do you all understand what I'm saying? Is everybody following that? If you weren't there this morning, it's a little difficult but if you were following them. Hmm? And you, did you notice how I built the need? How I surfaced people's needs about their relationships and their difficulties, correct? Did you notice how I brought it to a real need? What were the real needs I brought out? Anybody remember? That's application. Connect with Krishna's application. What were, the, what were the felt needs that I brought out? Anybody know the felt needs that I brought out this morning? If we don't forgive, what will happen? If we, if we do forgive, what will happen? Yes. And that brought... Also, there was some felt needs when we talked about why we want to hurt people who hurt us. That was, a, that was also getting into felt needs how we, we want to make sure that there's justice and so forth. How did I bring that to real needs? What were the real needs I brought out? I said, these are spiritual needs. What did I list as the spiritual needs? That's application. Peace, good. What else? Not take birth again. Not take birth again? That was more um, surfacing felt needs because that's not actually a spiritual need. A, spirit, a spiritual need isn't just for liberation. Yes? Hmm? To break the chain. That was a felt need more. Please, Krishna. Harmony, good, 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 balance. I talked about how harmony and balance was actually a spiritual need. What else did I say was actually a spiritual need? Compassion. Compassion, good. What else? Patience. I don't think I mentioned patience. Absorption. I find it interesting you don't remember the spiritual need. And I'm wondering if because that's not really so important. 
Because I surfaced the felt needs that people don't want to take birth again, that they want to have good relationships with other people, they don't want to be so foolish like the people in these stories. And then I gave you practical applications. As I said yesterday, most people are not very interested in their spiritual needs. So here we have the evidence that none of you practically remember what in the world they are. We were talking about balance and harmony. We talked about really connecting with people and having empathy, remember? Yes, and compassion. Those were what I mentioned as the spiritual needs, which are driving our felt needs of getting even with people who hurt us. Do you all understand that or not? Am I losing you? You are going to sleep in the back. <laughs> and how did I bring out the felt needs? What did I do? I brought it out through stories. And were the stories negatives or positives? Completely negatives. They were stories of people who were not forgiving and the bad consequences that happened. But then I went into application. Okay, if you want to fix this problem, and I gave you four steps for application. Right? So it was about six, probably about 65-45 of, of the class was, by the way, I, can you possibly, there's no way you can read the screen from over there. That is not possible. Um, and there was some room over there. I know you're far outnumbered by the, by the ladies in this gathering, but... We're not going to discriminate against the gentleman here, and I think that there is room here. I want to cross well, That was very polite of you, so therefore I had to invite you. And I don't mind inviting you. So you want in all of your classes to spend between 45 to 70% of the class on practical application. What are you going to do with this information? Now, there are some times where you're giving a series. For example, I teach a class on what's called, a, it's, it's a seminar, a workshop, on what's called environmental scanning, which is a management technique, has nothing to do with the ecology. For one hour, we work on just information and theory. For the next hour, we work on how to do a scan. And then last hour, we do a practice scan. So two-thirds is on application, one-third is on information, but it's in separate segments. So we do just information, then we take a break for 15 minutes. Then we do application. Do you follow? So it may not all be in that one session. If you learn information without application, you don't tend to learn it. I mean, unless it's really, really, really fascinating. Okay. So application focuses instruction on the student's needs, because you're only, which is why I want to teach the needs ones first. Because we're only going to use something that meets our needs. Yes? Correct? Yes? They still get deer in the headlights, people. Yes? Is that true? Yes. Will you use something if it doesn't meet your need? No. Would you use something if it doesn't meet your need? Do you understand me? You not understand. Do you know English? Okay. If you don't have a need to speak French, 
Will you be interested in learning how to speak French? I'm asking her. No. So if you don't have a need for something, you will not be interested in learning how to use it. If nobody ever offends you, you will not need to learn how to forgive, will you? Correct? Or if you never feel offended. If you're Mahabhagavat and you never feel offended. <laughs> like Maharaj Yudhisthira, he would not need today's class because he thought nobody ever offends me. You understand? If you were to say, Maharaj Yudhisthira, this is how you forgive, you'd say, why do I have to forgive anybody? Nobody offends me. So before you can apply something, you have to first have a need for that thing. Is that clear? Is that clear? Is, is that clear? Yes. Okay, and an application has maximum effectiveness when the student sees the Shastric basis. And this is especially true for adults rather than for children. So an adult is much more likely to do what you're suggesting when they see it's coming from the Shastra. That's not true for a general audience so much. Okay, I have this in very small letters on my phone. Uh, something, and I can't see the last line on my phone. So something that's impacted the teacher tends to impact the student more. So how did I show that in this morning's class? Your own practical example. Exactly. So I gave you some practical examples from my own life about how learning how to forgive has affected my life and about my needs for learning forgiveness in my life. Now, even if I didn't do that, even if I didn't give any examples from my own life, if, if something has affected my life, I'm going to be much more effective at teaching you. Right? If I have never made rotis, it will be very difficult for me to teach you how to make, make rotis. Okay? And then the purpose should be from studying to obeying. Okay, these are the basic principles. Okay, so step one, you have to have knowledge. You start with knowledge. You start with information. Right? We're going into our method now. Now we're going now we're going to application of application. This is our method. So far we've done information. Now we're going to application. Would you be willing to get me a cup of water? So we're going to have a sample here, and I'm going to turn a little bit because I my phone cuts out the bottom part. Okay, so we're going to have a sample we're going to work through together. And this is information. This is from Bhagavad Gita 17.2. The Supreme Personality of God had said, according to the modes of nature acquired by the embodied soul, one's faith can be of three kinds in goodness and passion or in ignorance. Now hear about this. Okay, so the first thing we would do if we were speaking on this verse is we would explain what it means. That's giving information. You have to have some information first before you can apply it. Okay. And then we want to find the essential principle behind the knowledge. We want to find the essential principle. So what would you say is the essential principle in this verse? We, we want it as a complete sentence. 
Okay, but let's see if you can get it a little bit more um, succinctly. That might be an extrapolation from the verse. That might be more of a conclusion. Three modes of nature. Well, certainly that, that is a principle. So we could say those are principles. One principle is one faith can be of three kinds. There are three modes of nature. What are some more principles we could get from this verse? Uh, an embodied soul acquires the modes. Good. Good. It is possible to understand which mode you are in. Good. What else? What other principles can we get from this verse? My estimate is that each verse has at least 200 principles. Principle should be a declarative statement. Principle cannot be a question. A principle is a declarative statement of universal truth. Do you want to put something under it? Is it going to make a mark on your table? Okay, what about the last sentence? What principle can you get from that? Hmm? I'm sorry, you didn't hear the first part. Okay, that's not a principle. Um, a principle is an eternal truth. It's always true for all people at all times. The God is the supreme person and we are the subordinates. Okay, good. Good. We have the supreme personality of Godhead there, yes. I don't know if that'll help the table, but okay. Any other principle? Again, I'm looking at the last sentence. Hmm? We, we learn by hearing from authority. Okay. So let's say we take a principle. We just did that. Um, we just did that with that verse. And now we want to find the essence. We found one principle. For whatever you're going to be teaching in your classes, you always want to focus on one principle. Like we talked about focusing on one need. Yes? You also want to focus on one principle. Only one principle per class. So we just maybe listed, what, ten principles from that verse? Correct? If we're going to teach that verse in one class, there's an echo from that speaker. Which is kind of if we're going to teach that, that verse in one class, then we're going to pick just one of those principles. Okay? Uh, meditate on, the, on what you're going to teach, either the verse or the theme. Some of you for your classes have a theme. Certainly ask Krishna to help you. And we just did the stating the principle in a clear sentence. That was very good. Now we're going to personalize the principle. So which of our principles that we discussed would we like to take? We just had like 10 principles. Could you pick one of them that we could practice with? I can give you this PowerPoint, you know, you don't have to take photos of it. 
I mean, you're welcome to take photos of it if you want, but I'm happy to just give it to you. How it is relevant to us? No, no, I'm asking of the ten principles that, I think it was ten, I wasn't counting, that we found in that verse. There are three modes of nature. You want to take that one? Okay, we'll take that one. There are three modes of nature. So now we want to personalize the principle. Personalize the principle. How does that apply to us personally? And this is where you're going to bring in the need. What need would a person have to know that there's three modes of material nature? What felt need would connect with that? Okay, very good. We are suffering. Everybody has some suffering, correct? Is there anyone who has no suffering? Have you met such a person? No. Okay, so everyone is suffering, and you don't need to do a needs inventory to find out that everybody is suffering. Everyone has some difficulty. So that could be a felt need. Now, it would be a good idea, probably, to pick a particular kind of suffering, because if you just say everyone is suffering, that's a little too general. And maybe right now in my life, I don't feel that I'm suffering from anything. You, you follow? If I say to all of you now, everybody is suffering, many of you are going to think, actually, I'm having a pretty good day. So if any of you sitting in this room, if right now you have no health problem, you have no relationship problem, you have no financial problem, you may think, I'm not particularly suffering right now. So some of you in here, you may be having a headache or a backache or a stomachache or a footache or whatever kind of ache that you have or some disease that you're worried about or some relationship problem you're worried about or a family member and you may think, yeah, I'm suffering. But the rest of you might not. So I, I need to have a little bit more specific need here. Any idea of a felt need that could be a little bit more specific, let's say for people age 12 to 16. We don't want to get old. We know when you're 12 to 16, you're not thinking about that at all. Not at all. You think old people are a different species. Hormonal changes. Huh? Hormonal changes. They don't think that is a problem. They don't think that's a problem. Okay, you're... Now, what were these things? This was adults talking about whose needs. The adults' needs for the youth. That doesn't work at all, my friends. That you are completely 100% wasting your time. Completely 100% wasting your time. When we talked yesterday about teaching to needs, we're not talking about the needs of the teacher, we're talking about the needs of the students. Students want to understand where I am picking into this field. Why should they want to know that? Why in the world would they want to know that? Do you think most people walking around today are saying, I wonder where I fit into the three modes of material nature? I don't think so. Were you there yesterday? Were you at our class yesterday? Okay, we're talking about a felt need. What is the felt need of 12 to 16 year olds? Freedom. Freedom. They want freedom. Okay. Recognition. Huh? Recognition. 
Everybody wants recognition. Um, is this a good mobile phone? Is this a good mobile phone? Yes, that is one of their needs. I think it's it's more yeah okay. Huh? What? Are they waking up in the morning worrying about changing their attitude? <laughs> Or are you worrying about them changing their attitude? <laughs> Whose need is that? Theirs or yours? I'm asking you. But that's not what I'm talking about. I don't want to change. I don't want to change. They want to experiment. They want to explore. Okay. Acceptance. Okay. Which one of those do you want to put in with the modes of material nature? Passion. Their needs. Which need do you want to pick that we're going to connect with this topic? They want all modern abilities. The topic that that you pick, the principle you pick. Let's go back. Okay. You have this. We have this verse. This is our verse. We're giving a class on this verse. We pick one what? One principle. The principle we picked are there are three modes of material nature. That's the principle we all picked. Everybody on board? Yes. Yes. Some of yes. you still just don't respond. Okay. Then we want to connect that to their needs. So. If you want to pick a need that they're feeling, not that you're feeling, they're not going to be interested to learn something that you're feeling. They're going to be interested to learn something that they're feeling. If you go to people 12 to 16, and I'm going to give you a class about how you have to have a better attitude, and I'm going to give you a class about how you shouldn't watch television, and I'm going to give—is that effective? No. No. It is only frustrating for you and for them. They're not waking up in the morning saying, "How can I watch less television and fix my attitude?" They're they're not. They're really not. So what are they what are they worrying about that we can connect with? There are three modes of material nature. Yeah, usually let's get to something a little bit more specific, but yeah, because that's a universal need. Catch a bus early morning. Okay, so you have scheduling problems. Yes, because normally they make pressure and scheduling problems. Okay, so from early morning they're under pressure. They're under the pressure of their studies and exams. Okay, now remember, although we took the principle, there's three modes of material nature. This verse is specifically about what in the modes? Faith. Faith. Can we find a need that's going to tie into faith in the modes? Do you think? Faith in Krishna, then faith. Their need. I want you to give me one of their needs that could tie in to faith in the modes. Something they need that could be solved with this principle. Their faith on parents that they will get good gadgets, electronic gadgets to them when they require. Okay, or what about their faith in the gadgets themselves? They want to be heard by the parents. 
I like that. that. That's one of the strongest needs of both children and teenagers, that they want their parents to hear them. And it's a problem, because when I asked all of you for the needs of youth, you often gave me your own needs instead of theirs, which tells me you're not hearing them. You're just hearing your own needs. Everybody's selfish. Welcome to the material world. They have faith in their parents. Parents will satisfy their needs. Well, good luck with that one. Only Krishna's going to satisfy your needs, my dear. I have not been able to satisfy the needs of my children. Any of you been able to satisfy all the needs of your children? No, I'm not God. I can't do that. Do you want to be here? <laughs> no, no, you can come. That was an invitation. It wasn't just scaring you away. Would you like? Let me put this better. I am inviting you. Would you like to? Would you like to join our class? I want it from you. No, no, no. Then you're like okay. a Trinivas's mother-in-law who was hiding in a pot for the kirtan. No, there's room here. And the gentlemen actually they'll be very happy because they're so lonely in the corner there. <laughs> they can use some solidarity. All right, there you go. It wasn't that long ago all the teachers in the world were men, you know, and now it's just like reversed. Other way around. But maybe this idea of the of the gadgets, we could pick any. And I don't want to take too much time because time is running away. But if we could pick the one of the gadgets, are most 12 to 16-year-olds interested in gadgets? Okay, I think we could relate that to faith in the modes. Do you think that's possible? How to pick a good gadget, how to use your gadget so that you get the most enjoyment out of it? Can you see a relationship with, between that and the modes of material nature and faith in the modes of material nature? Can you see a relationship? Very good. Very good. Okay. So, we want to picture the principle in action in different circumstances, show how it's universally applicable, show how it will help those who apply it, and still tell stories that illustrate the principle. Alright, the principle in action in different circumstances. So Krishna tells us this in the 17th chapter. How the fact that there's a three modes of nature apply in different circumstances. Correct? Who you have faith in, what you have faith in, what you believe will help you get what you want. And we could explain that. Would you like to join us? That's an invitation. That's not scaring you away. <laughs> Somehow asking people if they want to join us makes them run away. I don't understand what this problem is. Maybe I have to reword it. We have a fun class. Come on. Maybe I have to do it like that. Okay. So I think that the real essence of this principle in action in different circumstances is that it's not that a particular thing will make us happy exactly. It's that we have faith that a particular thing will make us happy. We believe and we are driven by our beliefs. And I think we could speak for some time in a class about how our beliefs about things changes our behavior. Are you all familiar with this? Yes. yes? This is psychology. We don't have our psychiatrist here. He left. He is, but did he already leave? Ah, he is still there? He is still there. So this is it's a, it's a psychological principle that we think I'm observing the world 
and my observations form my beliefs about the world. That is not true at all. We have beliefs about the world, and our beliefs change what we perceive. That is the truth. And our beliefs are dependent on what mode of nature we are in. It, it's, a, it's a very simple thing. Yes. Yes. I have, all of us have, a particular set of things that we believe. That Those beliefs are in some combination of the modes. Those act like a kind of filter. And my perception is based on my beliefs. My beliefs are not the product of my perception. It's not that I perceive just open truth and form beliefs based on what I perceive. I start with beliefs and it colors what I perceive. On, on a simple example between species, why do different species see very different things as food? What is food to one species is not food to another species. What determines whether or not we think something is food? The particular modes of nature that we're in. So we have a mode of nature that colors us and says, oh, that is good, that is bad. Uh, some very simple examples, people who are more in the mode of ignorance will feel insulted far more often than will people in the mode of goodness. So the same exact behavior. If you have three people, one very much in the mode of ignorance, one very much in the mode of passion, one very much in the mode of goodness, and some fourth person came and said something that might be insulting, the person in the mode of ignorance is much more likely to understand that as an insult than is the person in the mode of goodness. And the person in the mode of passion, somewhere in the middle. Our interpretation of what is happening is different according to our modes of material nature. Okay, does this, does this all make sense to everybody? My idea of what is enjoyable, what is not enjoyable, what is loving, what is not loving, what is threatening, what is not threatening, it, it starts from what I believe, it starts from my faith. It doesn't, it, it's not objective experience. Otherwise, how could 10 people have the same objective experience and react to it very differently? Well, we were talking about this a little bit this morning. You might say something just trying to be helpful and somebody is insulted. And the closer they are to ignorance, the faster that they are to being insulted, to being angry, and to so forth. Okay? So when we're going to judge also, like Krishna explains, that those in the mode of ignorance, they can't understand what's to be done, what's not to be done. They think what's bad is good, what's good is bad. Those in the mode of passion, they sometimes know and sometimes don't know. Those in the mode of goodness, they always know. So even if you're going to be choosing a phone and deciding what to do with it during a class on application, what you're going to be doing with your phone during your class on application on October 15, 2016 in Oman is going to depend on what are the modes of material nature that you are in. Didn't work, but I tried. Okay, and then stories that illustrate this principle. 
So you might tell stories of people who responded differently or liked different things. You know, I'm looking, my computer's warranty is almost up and I'm thinking about getting a new computer. And I only get one kind of computer because it's the only kind that has an international next day on-site guarantee. Which comes in very handy if your computer breaks in my report. And you don't have to mail it into some place you know in Spain. So I'm looking at the computers and they'll say, okay, well this one is good for gaming. And this one is good for business. And this one is good for students. And this one is good for travel. You understand? So what you think is good depends on what you want to do with it. And what you want to do with it depends on in which mode you have faith. Now what do we mean by faith? This is all an example of how to teach. You all understand that, right? I'm not talk talking about the modes of material nature. I'm giving you an example of how to structure a lesson. Everybody understands that that's what I'm doing? Yes. Okay, good. So what do we mean by faith? What is it that will fulfill my desires? That's what we mean by faith. Right? Like you were saying, we, all, we want to be happy, we want to be peaceful, we want to be satisfied. So which mode do I believe will give me that? Depends on the person. Okay. Then, that was, per well, okay, we didn't really get to personalize it. So we, we really just had picture the principle in action in different circumstances, show how it's applicable and how it will help people. So we've done, that's what I've done so far with the modes of material nature. Now, personalize it. I really want to have this for us personally. I did that a little bit with my laptop. But if I'm going to do that now for the students, I want to talk a little bit more about, okay, what will that mean to us? So if I'm trying to find what's the best phone or what's the best computer, you know, or what's the best tablet or what's the best whatever to get, then it really depends when I'm looking at that list online or I'm looking at the list in the magazine. It depends on where's my faith. What do I believe is going to be helpful? Do I believe it will be helpful in the mode of ignorance for me just to be lazy? Can I find a gadget that helps me be lazy? <coughs> that does my work for me? Many, most of us now have gadgets that help us be lazy. Right? I mean, it's happening to me too. I don't use a map anymore, right? We don't know how to spell anymore. We don't know how to find directions on a map. We don't remember, people don't remember their wife's phone number. <laughs> What's your wife's phone number? Uh... <laughs> So we want to pick a gadget who helps us be lazy. Do we want to pick a gadget that's going to help us be smarter and better and more productive than everybody else? Or that people are going to give us high status? Whoa, you have the latest iPhone. You know, or do we want to pick a gadget that's going to help us be more in balance, that's going to be help us to be more in harmony, that's going to help us to organize our life so that we can prioritize on what gives us real joy? What I did just now was I personalized the principle. So I took the principle from people are going to make decisions and view the world according to their, the faith they have in the modes to when you buy a phone, you're going to buy a phone and you're going to download apps according to the modes in which you have faith. Okay, persuade. 
So this step is now that we're going to try to convince people to do something. Again, application. If you don't convince anybody to do anything, they're not applying anything. So what do I want to convince people to do in this particular example that we're going through? What is it I want to convince people to do? What do I want those 12 to 16-year-olds to do? Okay, remember my principle. My principle was again? There's three modes of material nature. That was my principle. And what was my felt need? No, my felt need in the students. Choosing, choosing gadgetry, choosing technology. That's their felt need. Okay? And remember we talked about how we, we presented the principle and how we personalized it. So what do I want them to do now? Okay, you're, I think you're very close. You're right on the border of the city there. Just kind of have to go in the gate of the city. This is where we're coming to application. So far, all we've done is... Information. Information. Very good. Oh, finally, I taught something. So all we've done so far is information. Now in the persuade is where we're going to application. We want them to do something. What do we want them to do? I'm not selling phones in my youth program class. Okay, I want to I want to get to a real need here. Alright? Now maybe I'm not telling them what their real need is, but I want to get to the real need, folks. What's the real need? The real need isn't to get the best phone. What's the real need related to the three modes of material nature? That's far too specific. You're, you're, you're going too much to their felt need. Hmm? To satisfy their the position of what they want. Seeing others, they would like to buy the same thing. That's felt need. That's Rajagun felt need. Lead by example. You really think they care about that? <laughs> they care about being popular. But leading by example? 12 to 16? <laughs> maybe 1920. Maybe. Leading by example. They may want to have the most friends, or the you know they want to lead that believing by example. That'd be very mature, very very mature, twelve to sixteen. What what's the real need that knowing about the modes of material nature does for anybody? Hmm? For what purpose? Okay, good, to go higher. But but that that's that's sort of a process still. What do we really need? 
we need to connect to Krishna, which is above the three modes of material nature. But Krishna says in the 11th canto that if you haven't realized yet that you're a soul, you should cultivate the mode of goodness. goodness. So what is it, again, that we want the children or the youth to do? We want them to do what? (coughs) We want them to cultivate the mode of goodness or, if possible, bhakti. We don't want to only present the mode of goodness. Okay? Please, don't, don't ever only present the mode of goodness. Always present also bhakti, which is above the modes. That's what we want them to do. Now we're talking about what I want them to do. Finally, <laughs> finally get to talk about what I want them to do <laughs> instead of what their needs are. So I want them to choose their gadgets based on bhakti or sattvagu. That's what I want them to do. And that's their real need. <coughs> their real need is to connect with Krishna. Or, if they can't do that yet, at least to be in balance and harmony with themselves, with everybody else, and with the world. That's their real need. Now, if they're a particularly aware youth, they might have some idea that that's their need. But generally, they're going to be thinking, what I need to do is figure out what is the best phone to buy. Okay. So first, I've convinced them in information that in general, whatever mode you have faith in is going to change how you see the world. And Krishna is very clear that the only mode in which you make good decisions is the mode of goodness. Because in the mode of goodness, you can see the result of your decisions. That's the most frustrating thing in this world. I make decisions without knowing what the result is. In the mode of goodness, you can see, not the details, of course, but in the mode of goodness, you can see what is a good choice, what is a bad choice. In the mode of passion, sometimes you know, sometimes you don't know. In the mode of ignorance, you're just completely confused. You think what's good is bad and what's bad is good. So if I want to choose a good phone, if I want to make any good choice, I need to be in the mode of goodness. Now, we don't want our youth to be in the mode of goodness so they can choose a good phone. We want them to be in the mode of goodness because Krishna says, if you've not yet spiritually realized, you should be in the mode of goodness. Or we want them to be in bhakti. And choosing a good phone is a side benefit. That if I'm in bhakti or in sattvagun, I will also be able to choose my machines rightly. But that's not why. But for them, that will be why. That's where they're starting from. Are you all following this logic? If I say to them, I don't care what kind of electronics you choose, you should be in bhakti or sattva goon because it's more spiritual. But if I say, I, you know, this is what, this is important to choose, it's important to choose good electronics. How are we going to do that? How will this verse in Bhagavad Gita help us choose good electronics? Isn't that interesting? Did you know that Bhagavad Gita... It can. Bhagavad Gita is an interesting book. (laughs) So what do I want to persuade them to do? 
again. I want to persuade them to want to persuade them to be in the mode of goodness or bhakti. That's what I want to persuade them to do. So I'm probably going to take something from the 17th or 18th chapter specifically about goodness because here I want them to make a commitment. I want them to make a commitment. Now this is most useful when you're going to follow up with people. Uh, but even uh, those of you who attended my Manashiksha classes, so you remember in the last class when we talked about the five nectars that Raghunath Swami mentioned, and I asked how many of you do this, how many of you do this, and I asked people in a general way to make a commitment. And in fact, there were many times during that class that I asked people to make a commitment. Now, I didn't ask for a specific commitment. Why? Because I'm not here to follow up on it. If I'm teaching people every week, then I can say, make a commitment and come in next week and bring such and such and show me that you've actually followed through on your commitment. And you can have a commitment with a peer in the class or with a teacher. It doesn't have to be with a teacher. When I'm just coming and teaching class and leaving, it's very hard for me to do that. Like with these classes, if I was staying here, first of all, I would spend a lot longer on each of these which is clear to me that that's what's actually needed. And then I would also have us do a lot of exercises. Usually when I teach this, I have one class theory, one class practice. Usually have an hour theory on this, then two hours practice. I always notice that fewer people came to the practice than to the theory. People think, if I've heard the theory, now I know it. And then if I was really working with the school, then I would go into the school every week or every two weeks and ask people to let, to let me know how they're doing and we would have meetings and we would discuss how we've actually applied it. So what kind of ways could you have your students make a commitment to being more in the mode of goodness? How would you ask them practically to go about having this commitment in their lives? We can say about the importance of prasadam. No, no, no. This is about them, not about you. What would you ask them to do to demonstrate that they have made some this commitment in their lives? Huh? How many rounds you are chanting? Morning Jabba. Okay, and but how would you ask them to demonstrate this? Yes, yes, who said that? A sudden chart. That's a very good idea. I know um who is it? There's a couple of sannyasis that have even public sadhana charts online, which I find interesting. Now, suppose you had some kind of a sadhana chart where the students could pick which they wanted to do. Suppose that you work with the students 
remember these are 12 to 16 year olds, these are not three year olds. So you ask them to make a list of activities in Satvagun and a list of activities in Bhakti. And they came up with a list and then from that list they could what? Select what they wanted to do. Why am I suggesting to do it that way for this age group? You are buying in in their commitment. Definitely. Definitely. You're getting buy-in from them. Why else with this age group especially? Exactly. The main thing that happens when you hit puberty is you don't want to be ordered anymore. Do you all remember that? <laughs> now you're realizing. Yeah. Not when you were 12. <laughs> Do you remember when you were 12, 13, 14? All of a sudden, you understand the adults in your life are fallible. Do you remember that? When you're 8 years old, you think, all the adults in my life are like God. <laughs> and when you're 12, 13, all of a sudden you realize they're not. All nonsense? Well, hopefully not all nonsense, but... Yes, your perspective changes. You see the world differently. And when you're 12, 13, 14 years old, you really don't want the adults just ordering you. Why is it so? Well, you know, Krishna has arranged that when we grow up, we start our own family. We get our own job. And I think that that's very scary. I think it's a lot safer if you just have mommy and daddy take care of you the rest of your life. So there has to be a very strong force to have you be willing to make that step. Otherwise, why, why not just have daddy maintain me the rest of my life? Mommy can cook for me. Although I know in some of you Indian families, mommies are still cooking for their children when they are 35 years old. They're even flying back and forth to India to cook for the children. Someone just told me that today. I have to fly to India to cook for my 23-year-old son. I said, he's 23, you should get married, have a wife that cooks for So what is it that's going to push the the child to become an adult? Why become an adult? But that's the pushing. The pushing internally is, I don't want anyone to tell me what to do anymore. And then the adults say, you know, if you don't want anyone to tell you what to do anymore, then you get a job. (laughs) You understand? It becomes incompatible. When they say, I don't want you telling me what to do anymore, the situation is incompatible. And you say, fine. Then you have to have your own maintenance. I mean, even in the traditional joint families, the, the son would have start having his own area of authority. Yes? Otherwise, nobody would ever grow up and take any responsibility. Why bother? It's so much easier just to be taken care of. So there's this strong pushing, and of course, sexual desire also. 
is a strong pushing to grow up and take responsibility. Yes? I mean, we find the hormones and the sexual desire very troublesome, but if you, if you don't separate sexual desire from reproduction, which is what's being done all over the world today, if you don't have contraception and abortion, then sexual desire pushes you into responsibility. Of course, I've asked many of the devotees here, why do you only have one child? They said, because children are such a responsibility. I said, yes, that's the point. <laughs> that Krishna says, you have this desire, you should be responsible. So Krishna arranges that in the, in the maturing human being. There are these things that, and even among the animals, there's a push towards responsibility. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. It is inbuilt, not It is inbuilt, yes. Why? Because Sarvagatam Brahma Nitya Yagya Pratistitam. The all pervading transcendence is eternally situated in acts of Yagya. But Madhuji, one question. It depends upon uh, each and every country also now. See, normally in India, parents take care of their children up to a certain age. Not 60. <laughs> and you know, you know, in India, it used to be, it used to be, like Gandhi got married. How old was Gandhi? Thirteen. How old was Mahaprabhu when he got married? How old was that's like this? You talk, you want to bring India, then I'm going to bring India. How old? You can't have it both ways. I'm sorry. How old was Mahaprabhu when he got married? Fourteen. Fourteen. Bhakti Vinod. Fourteen. Child marriage. Technology change. Child marriage. Mahaprabhu was running a school at 14. It used to be all over the world until about World War II, all over the world, Europe also, people got married before 20. So this pushing in the young person not to be told what to do and the pushing of their sexual desires is really the push for them to start engaging in yagya. That is the, it's, 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 it's Krishna's using our material desires to push us to yagya. That's what it is. So it's not something that we should be very upset about. Oh, the child is not just going to listen to me like they were, you know, eight years old and just think everything I say is God. That's not reasonable. And that's not even healthy for them. India. <laughs> Do you know that we Western devotees are often more Indian than you Indian devotees? Just to let you know. Yes, yes, we know better. Okay. I mean, you make better subjects. That is true. A much better doshas. But you are the ones only having one or two children. You are the ones not letting your daughters get married till they have a PhD. And we're not doing that. Just to inform you. Copied, but we're not doing that. <laughs> we're not doing that. We Western devotees are not doing that. We are we are more into the traditional culture in those respects. I know we cannot make good sambar. That is a fact. <laughs> and our head wiggle is not so good. But as far as the the traditional aspects of the culture, we are going towards it, and you are going away from it. Okay. I'm sorry to say I'm sorry. You know. I mean, my granddaughter just got married. She was not quite 18. 
And you tell this Indian, oh, she married at 17? That's in your Shastra, the Indian Shastra. <laughs> we should have some presentation on that. That would be very popular. <laughs> you would definitely invite me back to Oman. Okay. So the last step after persuade, in persuade you want them, I'm sorry, if you're going to bring that up, then I'm going to bring that up, so don't blame me. So if you, we have the, the, the persuade where we're asking them to make a commitment. So maybe they're going to take from the list, we have them make a list. This is just an example, which you will have to apply. You understand, again, I'm not teaching about the modes, I'm teaching about teaching. Yes? I'm using this as an example. So if they have a list of things in Satvagun and a list of things in Bhakti, then they can choose from among that list and they can make some kind of a chart or you could give them varieties of way, not just a chart, that they could be responsible. Then perform could be that when they, they actually show you what they've done. They come in and show you what they've done. Asking for commitment. And if 70% didn't do it, you have to reteach the lesson. Then you figure there's something wrong with your teaching. You don't think there's something wrong with your students. There might be, but <laughs> you think there's something wrong with your teaching, and you try to teach it again in a different way. So these are your basic, this is your basic formula. You have your section from Shastra that you're teaching, or your theme that you're teaching. You find a principle. How many principles? There's 200, but how many do you find per class? One. You pick one. You connect it to the students. What? To Krishna. Yes, everything should be connected to Krishna. I love you. We, we connect it to the students' what? Felt needs. Good. You connect it to the students' felt needs. So you explain, explain the principle universally, then you personalize it for the students, then you persuade them. So these are all P words. You find the principle, you personalize it, you persuade them, and then perform. They have to actually do something. And remember, you pick a principle and personalize it according to the students' felt needs. Very good. Okay. Oh, this is one of those. Like this. I don't, it's hard, always harder to do it from my phone. Okay. If we're going to change people, we have to ask Krishna to empower us to change people. Don't think that we're going to change people just because we have some great teaching techniques. You know, great teaching techniques is, is good. Just like if you're going to cook something, you should have a good recipe. Right? But you also want to have bhakti. Because if you have bhakti, Krishna will eat your banana peels. Not that you should intentionally offer banana peels. <laughs> so you want to have expertise. The devotee has daksha. The devotee is, is one of the 26 qualities of the devotee is daksha. So you want to be expert teachers, but you also need to pray for empowerment. Because expertise in teaching is not sufficient to really change people at a deep level. There's so many expert teachers out there who are teaching so many things. But people are not changing at a deep level. Yes? yes? I was disappointed you weren't here earlier. We were talking about psychiatry. Yeah. So Before. Yes, we were, and you weren't change here. Huh? Change psychiatry. 
Change psychology. Child psychology. Oh, it was general psychology. And I was looking for you and you weren't here. And now you, do you have to leave now? Did I offend you? Yes, I offend you. Okay, this says we'll teach the law of me, but actually we've already taught the law of me. Sometimes I teach these in different orders, so then I stick this in there. So again, you're going to prepare the application in relationship to your student's need, and everything you're doing is for the application. The whole point of your lesson is application. With every single lesson. This includes just memorizing verses. Everything you're doing is so the people who are learning from you can use it. In other words, when you're preparing your lesson, you first start with the application. What am I going to want the students to do? I think many times we start our lesson by thinking just what am I going to teach rather than what use is this? Yes? What, what are you going to teach today? Well, I'm going to teach Bhagavad Gita 9.2. Why? I don't know. It's in the syllabus. <laughs> what will they use it for? I don't know. It's in the syllabus. So you want to start with, what am I teaching this for? What are the students going to do with it? Clear? Wouldn't that be wonderful if all the classes we attended were like that? Yes? I've been to so many classes where I'm wondering, why are they teaching this? Actually, you're all welcome to come in if you like. They are youth children. Their section is from 4 to 5. We are late. You are on time and we are late. But if you'd like to be part of this class and learn how to teach, you can do that. You're not sure. But if you want to, you can just come and sit down. Sure. And there's some room that side. Any of the boys, you go sit with the men, they're outnumbered and they want some company. Just don't knock over the water, please. The whole point of what I was teaching yesterday, uh, yesterday and today is don't just teach information. Don't just teach information. Don't just teach information. Whatever you teach should be related to people's... Ooh, um, can you, can you um, have that in the kitchen and put it in some water? Thank you, sir. Just, just ask, yeah, ask her to put in some water, please. And then I'll put it on the altar later. Is that all right? Yes. Okay, thank you so much. So it all should be in relationship to people's felt needs and what they're going to do with it. What they're going to do with it. I mean, another example is in the class I taught about chanting. So I gave information, right? But then I went to application. But what to do specifically? Did I give you something specific to do? We even practiced in the class. Meditation. Yes. 
So it wasn't just information. Now, when you're teaching the class, you, you generally will start with information. But when you're planning the class, you start with application. When you're planning the class, you always start with application. What are my students going to do with this? How will it help them? How will it help them meet their real needs and also their felt needs? And what will they do specifically? Now, imagine if you were teaching like this all the time and people were really getting useful tools. If people said, wow, this Bhagavad Gita, every verse in the Bhagavad Gita is full of useful tools for my life, not only spiritually, but even in the practical day-to-day things of my life. What would happen? Well, it would be fantastic, but what fantastic things would happen? They would transform. They would connect to Krishna. What else would happen? More interested generated. Definitely more interested. What else would happen? Yes. What would happen to behavior problems in the class? Pretty much, not 100%. They're children after all. But pretty much. What do you think would happen to your school program? What would happen to your whole program that you're running? It would definitely improve. What else would it do? Suppose that that all the students, all the children and the youth we're seeing how every verse they're learning in the Bhagavad Gita and the Bhagavatam is meeting their, their real spiritual needs and meeting their day-to-day needs in the world. And they have tools that they can use every day from, the, from what they're learning in the school. What would happen to your schools? Huh? The normal schools will close down. Do you think you'd have more or less students? I think you'd have a lot more. I think you'd have a lot more. We spend a lot of time thinking, how can I convince the students to come? Okay? So there's a general application. Make your life more in the mode of goodness, then what specifically can you do? Okay, this is a simple example. We have to chant better. Okay, that's great. But what exactly will we do? Okay, how I can illustrate what we're going to apply. Okay, and we talked about accountability. We talked about, for example, having some sort of chart. Now, people can be accountable to themselves. We can suggest, like, at the end of the day, every day, you ask yourself, did I drink all five nectars today? And when I did, was it like drinking nectar, or was it a chore? You can ask people to be accountable to self that way. Or... How, how do I respond when somebody insults me? Have I applied the four steps to their peers? So you could have a thing where you break into groups, people make a commitment to their peers about what they're going to do, to a significant person, to a teacher, or to Krishna. You want people to be accountable to someone. 
A basic standard is that if something's not measured by anybody, we tend not to do it. If nobody cares, including ourselves, we tend not to do it. Okay. This is a review. If you could sit somewhere out of the beam of light, that would be appreciated. Okay, we can start with a passage of Shastra, or you might start with the theme. You might say, okay, we're going to be teaching about Rathiyatra, we're going to be teaching about vegetarianism. So you might not always start with a passage of Shastra. Because I use this presentation also to teach Shastra teachers. I often start with that. Then you find a principle. It's probably a good idea to list at least five or ten principles and then pick one. Don't just pick the first one you come up with. Then personalize. How does the principle relate to us? And that, again, relates to our needs, the students' needs. Then persuade, asking for commitment, and perform evaluating change. Okay, and we have a sample which I don't think we have time to do, unfortunately. Okay, so does anyone have a question? Yes? No, we did this yesterday also. At what point do we identify the needs? I mean, for example, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a series, in a program which, which has classes every fortnight, at what point do we actually have these things put up put, put at the start of the academic year, or is it we provide... That would be a good idea. That would be a very good idea to do some formal needs inventory at the start of every academic year. be a very good idea. And uh, how, how do we do that? I think uh, maybe we should... Well, I went over that yesterday. We talked about a direct and an indirect approach. Anybody else? Any other questions? Yes. I think the question is relevant to them only, but the children are already there. <coughs> like, like my son, for example, whenever like uh, gadget is there, he wants to play with that. So how we can motivate him to not to do that and uh, do something? Change his mode of nature. How to change your mode of material nature. Well, this was a class on how to teach for application, not a class on how to change your mode of nature. We used, we used the idea of the modes of nature as a sample lesson, and we went through it painstakingly, step by step, as to how to do that for application. But I kept saying, I'm not teaching about the modes of material nature now. I'm teaching about teaching, and I'm using the modes of material nature as our sample to teach about teaching. How to change the modes of material nature. I think, I think I have on YouTube or on my website a class about the mode of goodness. So I would invite you to check it out. Thank you. Mother, yes. Like when you said for 12 to 16 year old children, they, they, uh, the felt need is that to buy a PS4 for them. You cannot, like, in spite of telling n number of times, they will not, uh, like, they will not agree for not to buy that one. What, like, how do you change their faith in that one? What is good in that PS4 that you have to explain to them? Like, I cannot stop buying. I know that it is not good. They know that they want it. 
And how do I change from the dead mode into goodness? It's the same question he asked. So now the problem is that it is now 12 minutes after 4. And our class on how to teach to application is pretty much ended. You're asking for questions about the sample class that we didn't really teach. So at least this tells me something interesting that I get two questions about that. What does that tell me? That class would do what? That class that we kind of arranged but didn't teach. We sort of set it up. What would that class do if we were to teach it? It certainly addressed the parents' need, didn't it? So it would not only address the needs of the students, it would also address the needs of the parents. So were we to teach a class like that, which I'm not doing right now, my apologies, but were we to teach a class like that, it would not only address this, the question from the student's perspective, but it would also address the question, the need from the parent's perspective. So that tells me that we were very successful. What we did, unfortunately, we didn't complete it. We stimulated a felt need, <laughs> but we didn't really give you, we didn't give you the solution. And so what happened is you became hungry, but we didn't satisfy your hunger. So for that, I apologize. I do have a class online about the modes of material nature and the mode of goodness. So I would refer you, I think it's on my website, ermiladevidasi.org. I think it's on the video classes. Uh, if it's not there on the video classes, it's on, uh, you can find links to my audio classes and you can find it there. Uh, and if I were going to stay another day, I'd be happy to teach that class. But unfortunately, my flight is leaving at 5 o'clock in the morning. So thank you very much.